Are you a mom launching kids into adulthood? If so, you need to know about my Empty Nest Mom Retreat. It is the gathering for moms who have at least one child over the age of 18 or who have launched them all and have a full empty nest. September 27th through the 29th are the dates, and Cedar Lake Retreat Center in Cedar Lake, Indiana is the place. You can fly into Chicago airports and drive to Cedar Lake in a little over an hour. Come join me. Best Value Registration is available through May 27th, and space is limited to just 100 moms, so don't delay. Check out jillsavage.org slash retreat to register today. The positive influence of love expressed in meaningful ways to them touches their emotions in their heart and, and it draws them to want to respond to love. Love simulates love. You're listening to the No More Perfect Podcast, where we talk about strengthening the relationships that mean the most to you. I'm Jill Savage, and I live in normal Illinois. I'm committed to talking honestly about the messy, less than perfect, but normal stuff of life. I'm so glad you've joined me. Well, hello, friends, and welcome back to the No More Perfect Podcast. You know, if there is one principle that I have learned in nearly 40 years of marriage, it's the principle that love is a choice. It's a decision. It is not a feeling. And Dr. Gary Chapman believes that as well, because love is a choice is the name of his newest book. And today he's going to help us understand that even more. Dr. Chapman is an author, a speaker, a counselor who has a passion for helping people form lasting relationships. You're probably most aware of his best-selling book, The Five Love Languages, which is a resource Mark and I use in our marriage coaching. So buckle up, you're in for a ride because every time I talk to Dr. Chapman, I learn something new. Welcome to the No More Perfect Podcast, Dr. Chapman. Well, thank you, Jill. It's good to be back with you. Yeah, well, you know, I got to thinking that I I know that Mark and I have been on your show and Mark and I interviewed you for our date night members, but I think this is the first time you've actually been on the No More Perfect podcast. And so I'm super excited to have you. Well, good. And I like the name of the podcast <laughs> because I qual- I qualify. Do you? <laughs> yeah, I kind of think we all do. I think we all do for sure. So um, I was so excited to uh, learn that you had a new book out. I love all of your books. Um, how many have you written? I don't even know what the number is. Well, I didn't know either. And I asked my publisher. <laughs> <laughs> and they said they said it's up to 60 now and I couldn't believe that. Oh my gosh. Wow. That is great. Well, congratulations. That's very exciting and it means you have a lot to say. Now, when people ask me, you know, uh and they think that 14 is a lot of books, they'll say, um, you know, how do you write all those books? And I say, 
Well, I make a lot of mistakes in life and I only write books about my mistakes. So. <laughs> I must oh, have man. made more mistakes than you did. <laughs> there you go. So you've made at least 60 of them. <laughs> Oh, that's great. Well, I was really excited to learn about your new book, Love is a Choice, because it's it's really a story book, right? You tell stories yeah. of people learning to love deeper and in a more active way. And I think that we learn so much from hearing other people's stories. So I think that the the concept of that is so very important. But let's let's start with um, you know, a, there's a lot of different beliefs out there of what love is. Let's start with what your definition of love is and why do you believe that we need to choose it? Well, I think it's really important, as you mentioned earlier, because in our culture, love is basically a feeling that you have towards someone, a positive feeling you have towards someone. And because people believe that and get married on that concept, if they lose those feelings, then they say, I just don't love you anymore. Uh, the reality is all of us lose those feelings. <laughs> the average lifespan of that euphoric feeling that we call falling in love is about two years. And we come down off the high. But in the Bible, uh, love is basically an attitude that has then appropriate behavior that grows out of the attitude. And by attitude, I mean uh, love is the attitude that is thinking as a regular way of life. I want to enrich the lives of everyone that I encounter. That's mm -hmm. an attitude of love. If it's married, then I'm in this marriage to do everything I can to help my wife become the person she believes God wants her to be. It's an attitude. And with an attitude like that, then you find appropriate ways to express love. And the five love languages, of course, can help you give you some guidelines and how best to express love to a particular person. Mm -hmm. But it begins with an attitude. It touches emotions, to be sure. And especially if I speak the primary love language of the other person, then they feel loved. So there is an emotional aspect to love, but it doesn't start with, with the feelings. It starts with an attitude. And then the behaviors grow out of that attitude. Yes. Yeah. And we've certainly seen that in our own marriage. We've seen that in the marriages that uh, we spend time with and our coaching. Um, it really, we have to almost make over our mind in some way about uh, understanding what love is, because I love what you said. We really base marriage on those warm, fuzzy feelings. I think one time I heard you speak and you talked about it, the tingles that, yeah. you know, yeah. we get, we get the tingles and we associate the tingles with those feelings of love. And, um, and so, but those tingles do go away and then we really do have to begin to choose love. Yeah. And then uh, those feelings, really, those positive feelings are replaced with negative feelings often. That was true right. in my marriage. You know, when I lost the positive feelings and we had conflicts, then negative feelings came, you know, and I'm thinking, I don't know why we got married. We disagree on everything and uh, <laughs> this is not working, you know, and I had negative feelings toward her. 
And, uh, you know, I, because I had pretty much the same idea that other people have. It, it's a feeling, you know, and now the feeling's gone, and now I've got these hurts and these negative feelings toward her. And so I don't know how this is going to work, you know. And I remember when I called out to God, and I said, I, I don't know what else to do. I've done everything I know to do, and this is not working. And as soon as I said that to God, there came to my mind a visual image of Jesus on his knees washing the feet of his disciples. And I heard God say to me, that's the problem in your marriage. You do not have the attitude of Christ toward your wife. Hit me like a ton of bricks. Because I remember what Jesus said when he stood up from washing their feet. He said, you call me leader, and you're correct. But in my kingdom, the leader serves. And I knew that was not my attitude. You know, my attitude was, you know, you're, you, you're, you make me happy, woman. You're here to make me happy. And uh, when I read that, and I, did, I, I wept because I was in seminary studying to be a pastor. And I just wept. And I said, oh, God, forgive me. With all of my study in theology, I've missed the whole point. And I said, please give me the attitude of Christ toward my wife. And in retrospect, it's the greatest prayer I ever prayed about my marriage because God really changed my attitude and mm -hmm. gave me a desire to serve her. And, and really, three questions made it practical for me. When I was willing to ask these three questions, my marriage began to change. They're simple questions. Mm -hmm. uh, first one is, honey, what can I do to help you? Mm -hmm. Second question, how can I make your life easier? Third question, how can I be a better husband? Mm. And when I was willing to ask those questions, she was willing to give me answers. You know, <laughs> she, she told yes. me. And, and I started doing those things. And within three months, she started asking me those three questions. And, you know, you get it going that way. When both of you have an attitude of love and the attitude of Christ toward each other, then you're going to have a good marriage. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And I love how you did it first and you didn't even ask her to do it with you. You just did it yeah. first. I mean, of course, the Lord was calling you to it and he was saying, you know, you were you were following the lessons that you were learning. But but she began to pick up on that and and then responded eventually. You know, it's, it's, it, the Bible says about our relationship with God, we love God because he first loved us. We didn't mm -hmm. start our relationship with God. He loved us first and sent Christ to die for us while we were still sinners, the Bible says. So this is the same principle in human relationships. Somebody has to start it. Mm -hmm. And when somebody starts it, it influences the other person. Yes. Uh, we can't make them change. We can't make them change. But but the positive influence of love expressed in meaningful ways to them touches their emotions in their heart. And, and it draws them to want to respond to love. Love simulates love. Right. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, when Mark and I share our story of coming out of our dark season um, and, you know, when I asked God what to do and the only thing God told me was, I want you to love him. And that was so I would, you know, I, and he was not lovable. Talk about having to choose love. I was having mm -hmm. to choose love, but eventually he told me, you know, that made such a difference that sparked hope mm -hmm. in me when I saw it consistently over time. And yeah. so we invite our spouse into something different even if we're the only one doing it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And even if they don't reciprocate, because we can't make people reciprocate, 
we can look ourselves in the mirror. We can look God in the face and know that we have done the most powerful thing we could do, and that is loving them when they're not loving us. You know, Jesus said, love your enemies. And sometimes that's what your spouse feels like, an Mm -hmm. enemy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And that's why we have to have outside help. It's not natural for us to love somebody that's not loving us. But Romans chapter 5 and verse 5, the love of God is poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So if we if we choose the attitude of love, God will give us the ability to speak love even to a spouse that's not loving us. Yes. Yes, that is so true. And I have lived that out. So I know that that is true. So let's not assume that people know what the five love languages are. I mean, I would guess that most uh, people that are listening do, although we can always use a review. Um, But uh, what are the five love languages and uh, how can we determine what our primary language is and help us just lay some foundation here for the rest of our conversation? Sure. Well, these are in no particular order, but one is words of affirmation using words to affirm them. You know, there's a Hebrew proverb that says life and death is in the power of the tongue. We can kill people and we can give them life by the way we talk to them. And for some people, affirming words, it can be on any topic of the way you're dressed. You look nice in that dress. I appreciate what you did and their personality, anything. But you're just finding things you can genuinely affirm them for. Uh, And then secondly is uh, acts of service doing something for the other person. You know, the old saying, actions speak louder than words. If this is their love language, actions will speak louder than words. And this is such things in a marriage as cooking meals, washing dishes, vacuuming floors, putting gas in the car, walking the dog, changing the baby's diaper, anything. Mm -hmm. Right. (laughs) And, uh, And then there's gifts. It's universal to give gifts as an expression of love. The gift says, They were thinking about me. Look what they got for me. And it doesn't have to be expensive. We've always said it's the thought that counts. And so you receive a gift. You think, man, they were thinking about me. They got this for me. And then there's quality time, giving them your undivided attention. And I do not mean watching television together because someone (laughs) else has your attention. TV is off. Computer is down. We're not answering our phone. We're looking at each other and listening to each other as we share life with each other. Quality time. And you don't have to always be sitting. You can be walking down the road or going out to eat, assuming you talk. You know, Mm -hmm. we've all seen people in in the restaurant across the table and each of them have their phones out, you know, (laughs) looking at their text messages. That's not quality time. And then uh, physical touch. We've long known the emotional power of physical touch. So in marriage, that's such things as holding hands and embracing and the whole sexual part of marriage and arm around the shoulder, or driving down the road, you put your hand on their leg, just, you know, just, just affirming touches. And the basic idea, of course, is that out of those five, each of us has what I call a primary love language. Mm-hmm. One of the five speaks more deeply to us than the other four. Now, that's fine. We can receive love in all five. But if we don't receive love in our language, we will not feel love. That emotional need for love will not be met. Mm-hmm. And uh, so how do we discover our love language? Well, here are three informal ways. Mm-hmm. One is observe your spouse. How do they express love to you? If they're always giving you words of affirmation, that's a clue that that's what they want, because we tend to speak our own language. Yep. And the second is, what do they request of you most often? 
if they're saying, honey, can you take the trash out? They're asking you for acts of service. And so what do they request? And then what do they complain about most often? Mm-hmm. The complaint reveals the love language. If you go on a business trip and you come home and they say, you didn't bring me anything. <laughs> they're telling you the gifts is their language. Or if they say, I don't, we just don't spend time anymore. It, I just feel like we're two people living in the same house. I just, I don't feel like we're connected. They're telling you quality time is their language. And of course you can also go online as, as you know, at five love languages.com, the number five, five love languages.com. You take a free quiz. And they told me that over 110 million people had taken that quiz. Oh my and gosh. I told my, I told my publisher who does that, I said, you guys should have been charging a dollar a piece. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> uh, but I like their attitude. They said, no, we're not interested in that. We want to help people get the idea and yeah. then go home and practice it. So, yeah, but that's, it's easy. You just answer a series of questions and they'll tell you what your primary love language is what your secondary language is, and then the one that's least important to you. Yeah. Yeah. So very important. You know, when I have done the quiz, um, gifts is like zero for me, Dr. Mm -hmm. Chapman, like zero, nothing. And I've been known to stand on the porch of somebody's uh, house uh, ready to go to their birthday party and go, oh my God. If it's not important to us, we can't imagine how it'd be important to anybody else. And we're likely to forget it. (laughs) True, It is so true. And I want you to also know, though, that the last time we had a conversation, which was probably about four years ago when you were on uh, for our date night members, we did an interview, Mark and I did an interview with you and you talked about going for a walk being quality time. And I'm always asking, so quality time is my number one love Mm -hmm. language. And I'm always asking Mark to go for walks and he just hates walks. He just hates them. (laughs) But I'm telling you, you flipped the script for him because Mm -hmm. when you said going for a walk is quality time. And I think we even processed that a little bit in that conversation. And it was like, oh, you know, it, it's like it changed it. And when I ask him for a walk to, it's no longer about actually taking the walk. It's about yeah. quality time. He's really yeah. changed that perspective. So, so important for us to understand this about ourselves, to understand it about our spouse as well. And those we love, our kids have love languages. Our in-laws have love languages. I mean, all those around us, we need to have an understanding of what makes them tick, what excites them, what really means something to them. Yeah, it is extremely important because one of our deepest emotional needs is the need to feel loved by the significant people in our lives. And it's not that euphoric stage that we call falling in love. No, no, it's that much deeper thing that the feeling that they really care about me. They, they, they're they there for me. I can count on them. Uh, we all have that emotional need to feel loved. And so this uh, understanding the love languages helps you effectively communicate love to the other person. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So your book, Love is a Choice, is full of stories. So I'd love it if you would be willing to highlight maybe two or three stories in the book and how the love languages were displayed, how they made a difference. Um, Just what 
what stories come to your mind that would be just uh, fun for you to share here? Well, you know, uh, all of these stories were actually written by people telling their own story. I didn't write their story. They wrote their Mm. story and shared it with me. And some of them relate to marriage and some of them do not relate to marriage. It's other relationships. Mm-hmm. But it's just the story of where, where they were motivated to reach out with an attitude of love, with behavior that follows that and communicate that we care about this other person and mm-hmm. the, the tremendous difference it made in the other person and the tremendous sense of satisfaction was in the heart of the person who was doing the loving. And then mm-hmm. what I do at the end of their story I talk about how what they just demonstrated is speaking this love language or that love language and how effective it was in that person's life, you know. So, um, for example, one of the stories that relates to marriage is a story of a couple, and I identified with this one myself after I read it, where the husband, in loading the dishwasher, was very organized. The mm-hmm. wife, let's say, was less organized. <laughs> That's a nice way to put it. <laughs> yes. And, and he was irritated by the way she loaded it. And, and she, he told her that she was irritated that he was being so specific to her, you know. And she said, in the beginning of our marriage, I just loaded it my way just to aggravate him because I just didn't think he should be telling me how I should load the dishwasher. And she said, you know, we aggravated each other. We had negative feelings toward each other. And one day we finally realized, you know, why don't we allow each other to be who we are Mm. and just allow each other to to load it the way we want it loaded or they want it loaded Mm -hmm. and and not to reload it. She said, that's what used to really gripe me when he would reload it. He would take what I'd put in there and move it to other places. This irritated me to death. She said, we just, let's just, let each of us load it the way we want. They got tired of arguing is what happened. And so, you know, she, she, they did that for a while and, and it was fine. And then later she thought, you know, we have less broken glasses now and we, and, and they, everything's always clean now. Maybe I'll just start being a little more organized myself. So mm-hmm. she went over and started loading it more like he loaded it, but it started by allowing each other to be who they were to load it their way. It's just recognizing that as humans, we have differences on almost everything. And rather than to fight about these things or try to make the other person do it our way, we're going to let them be who they are. Mm. And we're not going to let these little things, you know, disturb us. Uh, So that's so so powerful. So, but it took an attitude, an attitude, you know, of love. Uh, rather rather than uh, fo- focusing on the negative aspects of our differences, started focusing on allowing us to be human. And then also when she finally came to the place where she's, yeah, really, now that I think about it, I think his way is the best way. And mm. I'm going to start loading it his way. No, I, I identified with that story because that was true in my marriage as well. <laughs> and I complained to my wife about it over and over and over. And one day she said, you know, if that is so important to you, why don't you load the dishwasher all the time? I love it. <laughs> and I said, well, okay, I could. Yeah, I can do that. And I said, but now, honey, you know, there's some nights I have to go back to work uh, you know, at the church right after dinner, and then you would have to load it. She said, well, I don't mind loading it. And I'm thinking, I know you don't. But in the morning, I've got to unload it because I'm the morning person. You know? <laughs> yeah. But I've been loading our dishwasher now for over 40 years, you know, and I love yep. it. <laughs> Yeah, I love it. Well, that's that has been a part of our marriage as well. And, you know, I had a post if I've ever had a post on social media kind of go viral. It was a post where I stated 
Um, never sacrifice your marriage on the altar of efficiency. And Mm. what I told was a story about getting more dishes in the dishwasher. And, uh, and I told that exact story and that's really a lesson God has taught me is, you know, I might be able to get three more dishes in than my husband, but that's not worth hurting my marriage over. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. So very important. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. You got another one? Yeah, there's another story that really gripped my heart. It has, it has nothing to do with marriage. Mm-hmm. It was a lady who was a librarian and she was retired and she and her husband had never had children and they were enjoying their retirement. And uh, a new couple moved in in the door beside of them. And one day when she was out in the yard one afternoon working at her garden, this little girl, maybe four or five years old, kind of came through the bushes and said, can we play? And she said, well, I'm busy. And she said, well, I'm Lily. Can I, can we play? <laughs> I love it. So the lady said, lady said, I was so moved by that. I just said, well, what would you like to play? And she said, I'd like to play house. And, and I want to be the mother and you be the little girl. And so you know, she marked out a place for the living room and the kitchen and all this. And they played for a little while. And then she said, well, I have to go back to work now, okay? So you, you need to run home. And she said, okay. So she went home. And the lady thought that would be the end of it. But the next day, at the back door, the little girl was knocking on the door. And she went to the door and she said, what are you doing? And she said, I'm cooking. She said, can I help you? And she says, no, honey. Uh, you could, maybe you should go home and help your mother. And she said, she's at work. And mm-hmm. I said, well, who's with you? She said, the, 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 the uh, my, my uh, babysitter. And uh, she said, uh, can I stir something for you? And the lady said, okay, honey, come on in. You can stir something. So she <laughs> and the lady said, that was the beginning of a 21-year relationship with that little girl mm-hmm. who came over several times a week. Even as she grew up, you know, we would sit on the front porch and talk and so forth and developed a real, real friendship. And after 21 years, the family moved away. But that girl in college would come home and come to see her on her breaks in college. And she said, I think how thankful I am that I let an interruption turn into an opportunity (sighs) to build a relationship with a daughter that I never had. And I, I, I honestly, tears came to my eyes when I read that story. Right. It was just so powerful, you know. Right. Uh, oh, my goodness. That is so powerful. And I think, you know, I think all of us from time to time have opportunities of people who come into our lives at what are inconvenient times for us. And we see them as an inconvenience. Mm-hmm. And we miss an opportunity to love you know, that person and, and who knows where it will lead. Right. If you, if you, you love them the first time, you know, uh, but the thing, you know, she, this little girl really became the daughter she never had because right. she never had any children. So uh, I think we just all need to keep our eyes open for uh, opportunities that sometimes feel like interruptions to us. And really what she was speaking through all those years was, was quality time. She was mm-hmm. giving this little girl her undivided attention. She sure was. And, uh, and it won, and their hearts just knit together. Uh. So it's stories like that that we're talking about in this book. It's just, I think it's a book that anybody, married, single, young, old, 
anybody will enjoy reading these stories and I hope be challenged to think in terms of your own life and what how you might express love, you know, in some of your situations. Right, right. So let's talk for a moment about when we're in a really hard, maybe even painful experience, because oftentimes those are when love is most needed and it's least what we feel like doing. So when that happens, how do we choose actively to love someone when our painful memories seem to want to dictate our emotional behavior? How can we make that choice? Well, I think we first have to recognize that all of us are influenced by everything that's happened to us in our lives. And most people have had some some bad things that have happened in their lives. Uh, You're typically not an exception when that happens. Now, some are more painful than others, to be Mm -hmm. sure. But I think when when those experiences come, if the person has has apologized to you and you've chosen to forgive them, uh, or if they haven't apologized, then you've turned to release them. You've chosen to release them to God. Then you come to recognize them as the human whom God loves made in God's image, they have tremendous potential, no matter what the past has brought in your life or their life. And God is now giving, because of the proximity that you have, either being married to them or having some kind of relationship with them because of the proximity, you now have an opportunity to be God's representative to loving them. And there's a good chance that they also have been hurt in their past. And they're working through things in their past. And you choose to be God's instrument in reaching out to them. I think that's why Christians have much more potential for loving the unlovely and the ones maybe who have hurt you or maybe you've been hurt by someone else and you're just taking it out on the person that you're now related to. But when we recognize them as a human, everyone we meet has a need. And and we are God's instruments to try to find out where they are and what we can do to help meet that need. And when when we do it, Jesus said, when you do that kind of thing, you're doing it to me. And that takes it to a whole nother level. Yeah. When you recognize, you know, I'm God's representative to doing this and I'm doing it as though they were Jesus. Mm-hmm. Wow. So Powerful. to me, that's 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 the road we walk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So very, very powerful. I I would absolutely agree that, I mean, sometimes uh, we become the hands and feet of, of Christ in the yeah. lives of those around us. And, and I, you know, it's so important for us to think about that from a, um, you know, even outside of marriage perspective. I mean, who is that hard to love person in your life? You know, it could be a neighbor, it could be a friend, it could be an in-law. And who is that? And our tendency is to pull away from them. But God's call is to actually love them. Yeah, absolutely. By nature, if we just, we pull away because of what's happened, and we just got to keep our distance from them. Well, neither one of you profit from that. Mm -mm. You just live with your hurt. You know, mm-hmm. and the Bible is very clear. If you've been hurt by somebody, Jesus said, you go to them. And if they repent, you forgive them. Mm-hmm. And then in, in Matthew, he said, if you go, they don't repent, go a second time and then, and then tell the church. And it's the idea the church will send somebody with you. And then if they don't repent, he said, you know, treat them as a pagan 
what you do for pagans, you pray for pagans, mm. <laughs> you know, and you stand ready to forgive pagans, but you release them to God and say, Lord, if there's anything further I can do that would enhance their life, please show me what it is because I want to be your instrument. Yeah. And so you release them to God, you release the hurt to God, the anger to God, and, and now you stand ready to to do what you would do for anybody who's not a Christian. You reach out. Maybe they are Christians, but not acting like Christians. Right. And so you reach out with the help of God. If there's anything else God brings to your mind and he'll bring it to your mind. If there is something else for you to do. So very true. Yes, he will. So we can trust his leadership. We can trust that even though his way feels very backward to us, or it feels very upside down, which isn't that just the way God is, that we can trust that his way is the right way. It's going to be more likely to soften their heart, to reach their heart. It's certainly going to soften ours. That's what I have found is that when I operate according to what he calls me to, and I do not um, follow my flesh, like what I feel like doing. It's like doing what I know God wants me to do versus doing what I feel like doing. That's when I grow the most. Yeah, absolutely. And we have a, we have a deep sense of satisfaction. Yeah. Because life's deepest satisfaction is in serving other people. Mm-hmm. You know, Jesus was the example. He said about himself, I did not come to be served. I came to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. Well, we don't have to give our lives a ransom. He's already done that. But we follow his example. We're, we're not here to be served. We're mm-hmm. here to serve. Mm-hmm. And if we have that attitude, then we're we're thinking in terms of how can I enrich the lives of the people that I encounter every day of my life. Yeah. And when you do that, it's just deeply satisfying, you know, because you're doing the thing that you were created to do. And imagine what would happen if every Christian in the country had that attitude. Yeah. We, I think things would change, but you know, we as Christians, sometimes we let the world influence us. And so if the world is arguing and, and saying hateful things about people and criticizing people, and then, then we, we, we do it too, because we have feelings too. You know, we feel like some people need to be criticized, you know, and we, we just shoot people down. And those, those people we're shooting down are people Jesus died for. Yeah. You know, he loves them. He loves them. And, and if we could love them, in spite of the fact we disagree with them, we might be an instrument of bringing them to Christ. But, you know, we're shooting them. They're going to shoot us back. And so we have a verbal war. And that's kind of where we are today in our culture. It seems to me we just we just have verbal wars with each other. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, Christians need to rethink where we are in the world and what our role needs to be. Yeah, absolutely. Completely agree. So, Dr. Chapman, where is the best place for people to find you online? Well, they can go to fivelovelanguages.com, the website we mentioned earlier, fivelovelanguages.com. They'll see little blurbs on all my books. They can get a weekly email from me if they like, and a lot of, and also find out some of the places where I'm going to be speaking at marriage conferences. I do, with my publisher, I do 10 marriage conferences every year on Saturday. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they can find out, uh, you know, there where I'm going to be and and really a lot of lot of helpful stuff at that website. Yeah. Well, I will make sure that we put a link to that in the show notes. So if you're listening, um, just check out the show notes. We'll put a link to the book. Love is a choice. We'll put a link to the um, love languages assessment that you can find online, as well as the website there that uh, Dr. Chapman was talking about. 
So this has been a great conversation. Thank you so much for joining me. Well, thank you, Jill. It's good to good to chat with you again. And uh, let me just encourage you to keep up the good work. Well, thank you. And thank you again. Uh, some of you may not be aware of it. Dr. Chapman actually wrote the um, foreword for our book, No More Perfect Marriages. So we're once again, uh, so appreciative. Let me just uh, express my appreciation to you for being willing to do that for us. Well, thank you. So, uh, Dr. Chapman, I would love if you would just pray for our audience before we bring this to a complete close. Yeah, surely. Okay. Father, we acknowledge your presence and acknowledge our need of you. We thank you for life. And we know that as long as we're alive, you have purposes for each one of us. So I pray for those who may be listening. You know where they are. You know who they are. You know what they're struggling with. I pray that your spirit will touch their spirit and give them a picture of what you want their life to be and the reality that you have the ability to help them accomplish the things that you have in mind for them. So for those who are discouraged, I pray that your spirit would breathe into them hope and confidence in you, not by themselves, but that with your power, they can do what seems to be impossible. So keep your hand upon every listener, I pray. May they be different because they listened to our conversation today. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining me today on the No More Perfect Podcast. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe and follow so you don't miss any future conversations. You can find the show notes and links to anything we talked about over on jillsavage.org slash podcast. I hang out on Facebook and Instagram and would love to connect with you there. You can find me under the name jillsavage.author. One more thing, we have three free ebooks that we'd love to give you. You can find them at jillsavage.org slash free. See you next week where we'll have another conversation about the real stuff of life and relationships.